I'm Jemai Webster. On this episode of the Ness and My Story podcast, J.D. Martinez opens up about his struggles and his never-ending determination to become one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball. I didn't have a college to go to. Nobody was interested. Nobody wanted me on their program. J.D. Martinez! I remember the helpless feeling of me struggling, seeking help, and I had no one to help me. I mean, feeling so lost. Great, I just got released from the worst organization in baseball. If I can't play for these guys, who am I going to play for? Uh-oh. Everyone was coming up to me, and they were like, sorry, dude. And I just remember saying, I was like, guys, you're going to see me again. I'll be back. I remember saying those words. How strong is belief? It's like I have this golden thing that no one can see but me. And I'm like, dude, just give me a chance, please. Everybody loves a comeback story. But patience isn't the game in professional sports. It's production. 200th career home run, J.D. Martinez. The numbers now say J.D. Martinez is worth the wait. But during his athletic trials and tribulations, in the early part of his major league career, clubs couldn't afford the time. But his evolution proved his process true. That ball is gone. J.D. Martinez continues to beat up on the Yankees. What was your childhood like growing up as the only boy with five older sisters? It was a house full of girls and it's definitely a fight for bathroom time. Definitely learned a lot about women and about <laughs> girls. <laughs> you know, now they're like my best friends, and it was a fun childhood. Never a dull moment in the house, that's for sure. Growing up in South Florida, Miami, Cuban, what was the cultural significance that you maybe felt as a kid? I'm obviously, you know, I'm Cuban, and South Florida is known for being mostly Cuban. There's a lot of love for the sport and a lot of passion in the Cuban culture for baseball. Now, a lot of people might not know that your name's actually Julio. So <laughs> when did you decide to start going by J.D., or who called you J.D. first, and when did it stick? The story goes as follows. This is my mom telling me the story, because I asked her the same thing. I said, Mom, when did J.D. come up? We actually moved to further north in Pembroke Pines, and it was... No one had the name Julio. Like, I was like the only Latin guy in school. The teachers could never pronounce it. So they would always go, Julio, Julio. And I was like, it's Julio. And then all the, guy, all the girls and guys would start laughing. All the kids, they started calling me Julia. And, and then I came home one day crying. And my mom told me, she goes, you came home crying. And you were like, mom, everyone in school is making fun of me, this and that. No one knows how to say my name. We could call you JD. Those are your initials. And I was like, can we? And she goes, yeah. So then ever since that day, I told everybody that your name was JD. And we started going, we started calling you JD. And you loved it. And it stuck. That's pretty cool. And it cool. stuck. And that was it. What's your first baseball memory? When did your passion for the game become an ideal that you thought you can pursue it as a career? Um, that didn't happen until I got to, I would say, high school. Um, I met 
kind of my mentor at the time who passed away two years ago, uh, Paul Casanova, who played baseball um, with the Washington Senators, played along Hank Aaron. And I remember I kind of got guided to him when I was in like eighth grade. Some, you know, God led me in that direction. And he used to give lessons, hitting lessons. And you walk into his backyard and it was like, a, like the Cuban Hall of Fame. There's pictures everywhere of baseball players. And every picture, you're talking about thousands of pictures in his backyard with a cage back there where he used to hit. And every picture there had a story. Like he genuinely was like in love with baseball. And I just remember seeing that as a kid. And I was like, dude, I wanna be able to do this one day. Like I wanna be able to tell stories. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world to tell baseball stories. It was around that time was really when I, I fell in love with the game. So you're a Marlin fan growing I up. Was. So I you was. went to the 1997 World Series I saw. Mm -hmm. Had an opportunity to go to the one in 2003, but you had a school project to finish. Yep. So how much were academics pushing your house and being a good student? That was number one of my parents. They would always say, I don't want a C student. I don't want a, a C son. I want an A son. And I want you to be you know, the best that you can be. And I know that if for you to go out there and you to get a C, that means you're not working, you're not working hard enough. Anything but A's and B's, you were in trouble. You couldn't do what you wanted to do, you know? I'll never forget that, that World Series. I was like, Dad, I gotta do this. He goes, nope, you had how long to do this project and you wanted to wait to the last day? So you're gonna stay at home and you're gonna, you're gonna do it while me and your mother go. And I was sitting there with like three tables and made my own like giant table in the living room so that I could sit there, do my project, and watch the game at the same time. You also, played in high school, leading Flanagan to back-to-back -back state championships there. What were those years like for you playing at that level? It was awesome. I mean, at that time, that's the biggest thing in the world. You know, I remember we had, you know, state championship was like, it was on a pedestal. And that's all we talked about when we were like, when we were in high school and we were playing baseball and we wanted to win states. We wanted to win a championship. And, you know, I'm still best friends with five of our starting nine players. You know, we all had the same goal and we wanted it so bad and we were able to do it. During your college years, you're 19 years old celebrating your birthday at Fenway Park. Is that experience now, years later, really stick out in your mind? Yeah, it's just crazy, man. I mean, it's, it's so many things in my life that's happened like that where it's just, I don't know, God's always had a plan and it's, it's just crazy how things go full circle. And you know, I remember my sister asking me, because she went to, uh, I believe, Boston University for her dental school. She's like, hey, what are you doing for your birthday? She goes, you want to come up to Boston and go to a, a Yankee Red Sox game? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she goes, okay. So she literally buys my flight. She worked alongside um, Mike Lowell's father and brother in dental school. Back in it by Lowell from foul ground, the throw in time. So she actually got the tickets from Mike Lowell. Another very good play from Mike Lowell. So Mike Lowell left with the tickets, and that was the ticket. Those are the games that we went to. After winning back-to-back -back Florida high school state championships, J.D. was a late-round draftee by Minnesota in 2006. His future appeared to be bright. But J.D. had another life lesson to experience, this time provided by the Twins. Twins pretty much said, no, 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 no. Go be a draft and follow, because that was the thing back then. You wanted to be a draft and follow. And I just remember 
when we won the state championship game, I didn't have a college to go to. I didn't, and no one, there was no colleges offering like scholarships. So I remember as soon as the season ended, me and uh, Eric Cruz, he's a scout for a Major League Baseball team now, he was Arnfield's coach, and on the bus back to the hotel after winning states, what are you doing this weekend? He goes, we're going around and we're going to every junior college to get you a scholarship somewhere so you could play. Because at this point, I didn't have a school. I didn't know where I was going. So I remember driving around and going to all these junior colleges and doing all these, pretty much every junior college in South Florida I went to, it seems like, and did a, a whole like workout for all of them in a matter of three days, my arm was hanging. I remember I couldn't even throw anymore in my third day because I was doing two or three a day. And they wanted me to throw and run and every hit. And nobody wanted me on their program. So I remember I did a workout for Nova Southeastern University, the school right behind my house, Division II school. You know, I always thought myself as either D1 or junior college. I said, you know what, I gotta bite the bullet here, I gotta go D2. Pretty much the best decision I made, I think. You know, they kind of said, hey, we only have a certain percent that we can give you, which was pennies, given the tuition that they had. And, you know, my father and my parents told me to, that they'll take care of it, and they were able to financially help me with it. Did that, and the rest was history. He was selected by the Houston Astros in the 20th round of the 2009 draft and got the call for the big leagues just two years later. Altuve got called up. So when he got called up, I was like, there's a chance. You know, they're, they're moving things, they're doing stuff, everything's, you know, Houston's in the rebuild phase and they're going to start calling guys up. And so I remember just being in Midland, Texas. I remember there was a guy on first and third with one out. I hit a ground ball up the middle. Guy dives for it, catches it, does a flip, double play, no RBI, out of the inning. Run through the bag, I get like mad and I grab my helmet and I throw it down. All of a sudden I'm running out to the outfield and they don't bring my glove. And I go, what the heck's going on? I'm like, yo, bring my glove. I'm like waving the dugout. And then uh, there, Tom Lawless in the dugout, he was my double-A manager. He was like, JD, come in here. So I'm like, my bad, I threw the helmet. Jeez, what am I doing? I'm getting taken out of the game because you know, I usually don't react that way. He goes, go to the clubhouse right now. And I was like, the clubhouse? I said, he goes, yeah, you got a phone call. Go upstairs and call um, Ed Wade, the GM. Uh, and he goes, we're, gonna, we're calling you up. You're gonna be joining the club tomorrow in Milwaukee. And like my heart dropped. Obviously I was like, what the heck? You know, thank you, this and that, I'll be there. You know, it kind of gave me like some advice. Don't, you know, don't change anything who you are. Just keep doing what you're doing. Hang up the phone and I call my parents and they're like, what happened? because they watch every game. I'm like, mom, you're never gonna believe this. Like, like, what happened, what happened? Because Bobby there, get him on the phone. Like, this is serious, like playing it off, like I got injured or something. And then I told them and they went nuts and they were going crazy. And so like, we're buying our flight right now. Julio, they're like, Julio, get the laptop, get the computer. And they really buying their flight to Milwaukee to go up and yeah, that was that. How special was it to have them there? to see you make your major league debut. Oh yeah, it was awesome. It was so special. You know, um, you know, they've been with me, been with me and always been supportive of me and, you know, always encouraged me in my career my whole life. I would definitely wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them and their guidance and the way that they always pushed me and picked me up when I was down and humbled me when I was high. You know, they always kept me balanced.
With his power numbers in decline with the Astros in 2013, JD experienced another life lesson moment. So he visited hitting instructor Craig Wallenbrock in California to change his swing. It would become transformational. I never knew what the right moves were, what the right, you know, what the right swing was. And I've always had a certain philosophy about something. And when I went there, it kind of just switched it around and it's something that really clicked for me. It made me rethink the way I thought about hitting. And it really, like, I saw the payoff. Now it was time to test. And that journey took JD out of the country to the Venezuelan Winter League. I remember the first BP I took, I was like, dude, I've never hit a ball this way. This is different. And my first game, I hit two home runs. My first game in Venezuela. And I remember we had Javier Bracamonte. He was our BP thrower in Houston, and he was the bullpen catcher out in Houston. And I asked him to come with me because he's Venezuelan, and he was like, of course, I'd go. Threw BP to me all season, and then threw BP to me there. He's like, I've never seen you hit a ball this way. And I remember after those first two home runs, I came back in, and I said, Brock, I said, I looked him right in the eyes. As soon as I'd given high five to everybody. I went right up, he was at the end of the dugout, and he was like super happy for me. And I grabbed him and I said, I'm gonna hit 30 home runs next year. And he looked at me like I was freaking crazy. Just when he realized his new swing, JD is released by the Astros in the spring of 2014. Once again, another life lesson. I knew I'd changed and I knew I made an adjustment. So it's like I have this like little like golden thing that no one can see but me. And I'm like, dude, just give me a chance, please. Like, you know, let me play. Like, give me the opportunity to show you guys this and that. But it was kind of like they already had their minds made up. And then I get released. And then it's like, great, I just got released from the worst organization in baseball at the time. If I can't play for these guys, who am I going to play for? Everyone, when I got released in Houston, was coming up to me. And they were like, JD, you know, we just want to like, bro. I'm sorry, dude, like, dude, like, feeling sorry for me and feeling bad for me. And I just remember saying, I was like, guys, you're going to see me again. I'll be back. I remember saying those words. But just two days later, then Detroit Tigers executive Dave Dombrowski signed Martinez to a minor league deal. It meant his opportunity had come and was reinforced by his father's words. And my first 10 at-bats, I went 0 for 10 with seven strikeouts. And my dad was there with me. I remember looking at my dad and he was as cool as a cat. And he's like, I'm like, you, I'm like, you good, bro? And he goes, are you good? And I'm like, I'm fine. He goes, then I'm fine too. I go, we're gonna get it, don't worry. He goes, all right. Never any panic. It was one of the rare times, usually my dad's in panic mode 24 seven. After those 10 at bats, I figured it out and I've kind of like found it again and Ended up going off. Drills that deep to right field, and that one is out of here. I think I hit like 10 home runs in 17 games. Well, I ended up going off and winning player of the week. It was actually funny. This is crazy, I'm telling you. I have a lot of these like stories that come around. We fly into Houston, they announce player of the week when I land in Houston and when we're, in, we're playing the Astros. It was cool. I mean, you know, it's just, it, was, it was a blessing. And, you know, to get the opportunity and to perform and to go there and actually go back and win it in Houston was a little bit, made it a little bit sweeter. Had those great years in Detroit. They trade you to Arizona. But I want to take you back to something that happened historically where you hit four home runs against the Dodgers 
in one single game, becoming one of 18 guys in Major League history to accomplish that feat. When you were doing that, did it feel like this was vindication? Yeah, I mean, I, would, I don't know. I don't say vindication to, to the league or to everyone else. No, I never had that because I don't, I don't feel like I have that kind of like pride or ego when it comes to that stuff. But like to myself, like it was kind of like that day where you feel like you've worked on something so much and you expect to do things with a certain pitch. You know, after I hit my second home run, I wasn't even thinking about it. After my third home run, I wasn't even thinking about it because I trained my mind at the time to be so locked in on the simple thought, which is my game plan and what I'm trying to do with the pitch. And if it's not there, I don't swing. If it's there, I swing, and that's it. Forget the result. It doesn't matter. I can't control the result. All I can control is me sticking to my plan and executing it and hitting the ball the way I want to hit it. That's it. After that, it's up to God and the, every, whoever, whatever else you believe in for it to fall and for it to, to come out a good you know, product. Because you could hit a ball 120 and it being out. It doesn't matter. And... So I remember kind of just training my mind that way, and when I got in the same situation, I kind of just said, well, whatever, I'm just gonna, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Still a great day. It was kind of that great feeling of where you work on something so much and then it all comes together. So the work that you put in with the Diamondbacks that offseason became one of the hottest free agents in the game of baseball. I'm excited, you know, I love this game. I love to play and to play in front of fans that are just as passionate and that love it just as much is exciting. I'm sure J.D. will remember, uh, before he even revamped this swing, we liked him in 2013. We actually tried to trade for him. They would not trade him at that time. You settled on Boston. What went into that decision and how did you come to it? It was you know, a team that I idolized growing up and it's a team that is always gonna put a product out there to compete and always gonna try to win. First home run in a Red Sox uniform. A lot of teams out there that don't try to do that anymore, it seems like. You get the style of treatment in the dugout. You know for a fact that Boston's going to go out there and they want to win because the fans are going to put the pressure on them to win. I just remember saying, like, that's a team. Of course I would love to play for that team. Your hitting philosophy and the passion that you talk about hitting with has rubbed off on, on your teammates, Mookie Betts, for example. You know, I got to give a lot of credit to uh, J.D. and Timmy Hires, who kind of came over and showed me how to get better. When they came over, I was one of you know, the best things that kind of happened in my life. He affects me more than, than he probably knows, and just gotta say uh, thanks for everything that, uh, that he's done. I don't go and post things on people and say, hey, this is what you should do. No, I kind of like, hey, if you're gonna ask me, I'm gonna tell you what, what I think and why I think it, and you know, I'm gonna show you why I feel that you should do this and why I feel that you shouldn't do that. When I was in Houston, we never had the veterans to lean on to help out. It was mostly just young guys coming up and we kind of got lost and any of the veteran guys, you know, they were there, they didn't really want to share anything. They were just to themselves. I remember saying to myself, I'll never do that. I'll never be that way. Because I remember the helpless feeling of me struggling and seeking help and I had no one to help me. And me feeling so lost. What did it feel like, especially in your first year, being able to reach that career pinnacle, not only individually, but as a team, and, and accomplish that success of being a World Series champion? Can you believe it? It was awesome, man. It, it really was. And it was crazy because when I came in here, I knew this team was talented and I knew this team was close and good, but I didn't realize how good and how close they were until I was here. 
and to be able to share it with them, the whole thing never felt like it was for an individual. We've had guys that had amazing seasons, but it never felt like that. It felt like we had an amazing season. Never, that one person had an amazing season, which makes it that much more special, because it's, you know, I feel like this is, that was an experience I feel like that we'll never forget. And we'll be 50 years old and, you know, and talking about that, that postseason with each other. My Story is part of the Nesson Podcast Network. The home for New England sports.